Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. When you think about Mary, what are the images that come to mind? Young? You get young in your mind? (laughs) These are kind of from Christmas cards, right? They're from the medieval times and Renaissance. And uh, yeah, we kind of have that picture. Um, And throughout history, the church has really either paid a lot of attention to Mary or not paid attention to Mary. In some traditions, Mary was seen as sinless. She was seen as the one you can go to so that she can intercede to God for you. Uh, Seen in some cases as being perpetually a virgin or that she never actually lost her virginity in all of her life. And that um, she was assumed into heaven like Elijah was. In other traditions, it's almost like Mary is ignored. Okay, she was the mother of Jesus, but let's not pay too much attention. I remember when we lived in a Muslim country, the Muslims believed that Christians, the Christian trinity, included Mary. So, uh, but who was Mary? Let's take a look at her just historically. She was probably Middle Eastern. So she probably had dark hair, brown eyes. She, uh, I don't know if she was beautiful. Maybe she wasn't. I don't know if she was skinny or plump. We don't know anything about her or how she was. But we do know that she was probably about 12 or 13 years old. Now, I don't know if anybody in here is 12 or 13 years old. Anyone here? Because that is the age Mary was when the angel came to visit her to tell her she was going to have a child. Now, how do we know that? Because usually in the New Testament times, a young girl was betrothed or engaged to a man by arranged by her husband when she was 12 or 13. Then there was a year where she stayed with her parents. And then, a, and then at about 14, 13, 14, she went and she was fully married. Uh, that is, the marriage was consummated. So, but when the engagement period in that time isn't like engagement here, where you can just, you know, break it if you want to. It's time to decide, okay, am I going to go through this or not? Engagement then was actually seen just like marriage. If you broke the engagement, you needed a divorce. If you fooled around during the engagement and you weren't a virgin when the marriage was consummated, that was considered adultery. And in those days, especially in Old Testament times, that was punishable by death. And um, though in Jesus' time that wasn't often fulfilled, it was still a possibility. So Mary was probably a peasant just based on the fact that she was going to marry a carpenter. A carpenter wasn't high up on the scale. Though she was from a royal family, the family of David, she probably, her family status had at one time might have been years before might have been higher, but now she was probably a peasant girl. She was probably illiterate in those days. There weren't many people that could read and write, and certainly not many women that could do that. 
So it's quite likely she was illiterate. Now, that doesn't mean she didn't know a lot. And you can see from the text that she was very devout. She knew the scriptures. She knew about a coming Messiah. She knew about the history of her people because in those days, when they didn't have the written word, they had songs, they had public reading of scripture. There was an oral tradition that was rich and full, and Mary would have been involved in that. She probably spent about 10 hours a day doing household chores and duties like going to fetch water or cleaning clothes or helping with preparation of meals. Not quite like our 12-year-olds today, I don't think, but very, very, very responsible in those days. So that's kind of the historical Mary. And um, so when we read this story, when we think about the angel coming, I want you to remember the angel is talking to a 12 or 13-year-old girl, someone who doesn't have a lot of status. And I want you to know, too, that she was a very devout girl and knowledgeable about God. She received a life-altering message, one that was just awaited by all of Israel, the coming Messiah, something they anticipated, and something that was going to change history forever. And today we're kind of going to examine how she received that message and the responses that she had, and consider the type of attitudes that she had that helped her to believe God's message and plan for her and follow through. Hopefully, Hopefully it'll help us in our own journey as we can learn to apply some of those things to our own life, in our own journey, in our own following God's plan for us. So let's read the story. Peter? So let me read to you from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob the descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no God... No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Okay, so let's, let's go through this a little bit and look through each of her responses and the attitude behind it as God told her, told her of what the plan was. So the first attitude was, 
humility. So the angel Gabriel appears. Remember him? Tom talked about him last week. The angel Gabriel had gone to Zechariah and told him that his unbelievably old wife, who had been barren all these years, was going to have a baby. Now he's coming to a virgin and saying, you are also going to have a baby. So these are extraordinary events, and of course it required an extraordinary visitor. So he greets Mary by saying, rejoice, greetings. In other words, uh, and, and you are highly favored. God has given grace to you. God is with you. That was the greeting. Now, having an angel coming and visit, like, I, I don't know how he came. Like, did he knock on the door? Did, did he just appear in the room? Like, I, I don't know how that happened. But I'm sure, but it's obvious she knew it was an angel. And, of course, that in itself would be extremely frightening or what in the world is going on. But it says actually in the scripture that it wasn't his appearance so much. It was, a fa- it was what he said that got her very troubled. And what the, what the word is, is puzzled. Like her mind was going in circles. What does this mean? So what exactly did the angel say to her? He said, greetings, you who are highly favored. Favored by God. So, and the word was highly favored. It was a common Old Testament expression. So Mary would have heard this expression before, but it usually referred to Noah or Abraham or Moses or David. Like, and here I am. What are you saying this to me for? This was for famous people. This was for people that had accomplished something or were going to accomplish something great. I'm just a peasant girl. I'm just a little peasant girl. What do you mean when you say I'm highly favored and God is with me? What is this about? So she was really taken back by that. And uh, I think it just kind of showed her attitude like, who am I to have God favor me in this way? Like, what have I done? Who am I? And it's interesting because the Old Testament expression, actually the, the Hebrew word means you found favor or God is delighted or he's found something in you that makes him delight. Whereas the New Testament cherus is more the gift that God's given you. So it's kind of a mixture of those two things because she probably spoke Aramaic, which is a Hebrew uh, derivative. So, um, so I guess a good paraphrase might be, the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to bless you. The Lord is with you. That was a greeting that Mary received. So... I would say that Mary had what might be called a healthy humility. I think there's an unhealthy humility. A healthy humility hears it, knows that they're not worth it, but doesn't necessarily not believe that she's going to be favored. An unhealthy humility, we'll talk about this a bit more later, is like, I am not worth it. And God, how could God favor me? God doesn't favor me. Like I'm just, and he wouldn't have a plan for me. He's not really with me. If he really knows me, he's going to stay away. That's an unhealthy humility when we think so little of ourselves that we can no longer put our trust in God's promises to us and no longer move forward in his plan. The fact that she had a humility that also believed God showed that it was a healthy, healthy humility. So we'll talk some, but she had a, a posture of healthy humility and that prepared her to follow God's plan. 
Let's look at the next thing we notice. So the angel sort of said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are highly favored. And this is how you're going to be favored. And he goes on to explain that she as a virgin was going to bear a child. And that child was going to be the Messiah. Mary was really clear on who this was going to be from his explanation. So the angel stepped up and just said, you are favored. This is how you're going to be favored and explained it to her. So then Mary's response to that is like, well, how can that be? Because I'm still a virgin. I don't know what she knew about all that. I don't know what 12-year-olds knew in those days about the process of a child being born, but she at least knew that that it happened once you were married and once you weren't a virgin. She knew that part. And uh, she knew she was a virgin, and so right now she couldn't have children. So um, she was wondering how this is going to happen. Maybe she was thinking, is this going to happen when Joseph and I get married? We're going to have a kid, and we're going to call him Jesus, and this is who it's going to be. How is this going to take place? So it was an honest question. It was a simple question. I remember last week, Zachariah, he asked the question like, well, he, he, he presented it as he doubted that it could happen. Like, well, my wife hasn't, she's barren. She doesn't have a child. She, and he tested. He asked for a, for a sign to show that this was going to happen. Mary didn't do any of that. She actually believed what was being said, but she had a simple question. Okay, but how's this going to happen? Right? A simple question. It showed that she didn't disbelieve his word. She believed him. And even later on in the passage, Elizabeth says, blessed are you because you believed what God said to you and what he planned for you. So she had a belief in him, but she had a few questions. And um, being able to believe, she was probably in shock a little bit, I would think, just listening to this message. She may not have taken it all in, but, um, but she did believe it. So there were other people in scripture who asked God questions after they revealed the plan to him, like Moses, if you remember, when uh, God told him he was going to go to speak to Pharaoh and set the people free. He said to God, well, he started to ask a lot of questions. And underneath all the questions was, um, I don't really want to do this. Send somebody else, right? Mary didn't have that kind of a question. It was a question that was just honest, and, and it showed belief. Okay, so she was humble. She knew who she was. She was surprised that God wanted to favor her. She believed. She knew that this was going to be God's plan for her. She believed it. And another posture she had was that of meekness. Remember, she's just a young girl. She's just been told that she's going to get pregnant. Before she's properly married by some act of the Holy Spirit, because the angel went on to explain just how that was going to happen. He answered her question. So she'd just been told this. The child would be the Messiah, the most anticipated figure in all the scriptures. She probably hasn't had a chance to take it in, but most certainly it would mean accusations of adultery, gossip, Maybe it would mean divorce from her fiancé. 
But listen to her response. I am the Lord's bondservant. May it be done to me according to your word. Now the word bondservant just means slave. The picture of God as master and us as slaves isn't really one that sounds so appealing to us in this century. But in those days, in New Testament times, masters and slaves were common. It was a common thing all around them. There were slaves everywhere. So it was a common illustration. And if you go through scripture, I mean, it's a whole study in itself, uh, uh, how we're to see ourselves as servants, how Paul called himself a slave and a servant, how Epaphras was called a servant of the gospel. And the idea of this lordship of God, where he is our master and we're his slave, was really common then. Now it's not. I mean, we prefer kind of terms like God is our father, God is our friend. But to have God as our master, that's not something we're quite as happy to kind of have that picture in our mind. Nevertheless, the truth remains. He is our master. He is our Lord. And Mary's attitude where she just said, okay, you're my Lord. You're my master. Let it happen to me like you've said. Let your word come true. It showed such a spirit of what I'll call meekness. Now, what is meekness? Um, Mary could respond to this plan because she was meek. And in today's world, meekness is not seen in a good light. It's kind of submitting to the will of another, which is like almost impossible for us in our Canadian society, even the government, (laughs) to do that. (laughs) To submit to the will of another is not seen as a good thing. And um, you get this picture of a mindless, spineless, cringing weakling who has no mind of their own. But meekness is a stellar quality in God's economy. Throughout scripture, we're encouraged to be meek and gentle. And Jesus himself was called meek and lowly of heart. Meekness is one of the fruits of the spirit. Meekness is absolutely essential if when it comes to following the plan of God. Let's take a look at a definition. I just love this definition. It's from Strong's Concordance, which tells you what Greek words means and different words in the Bible are. Um, Meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. Isn't that beautiful? To be able to accept what God says to me, to accept it, to have a disposition towards God that just accepts what he says, that doesn't argue, that doesn't complain, that doesn't resist, but that just yields to it. That's meekness. And that's so displayed in Mary's life when she's told this awesome task she's to fulfill and the hardship, the possible hardship she would go through because of it. We'll talk more about it later. But meekness is the opposite of self-will. It does not uh, dispute or assert its rights. It submits. It yields with no resistance or arguments. When it comes to our relationship with God, meekness has a clear view of who's in charge. Okay, so humility. 
belief, meekness, another posture of Mary shown in her response. Now, I found this really interesting that in the course of the angel's talk with Mary, he kind of spilled the beans. He said, like, six months ago, Elizabeth got pregnant. You know your, your relative, Elizabeth? She got pregnant, and she's expecting a child, right? And God can do everything. Nothing's impossible for him. Well, I wonder if that was like a seed thought from the angel. I'd like to think that the angel put that out there knowing how difficult this pathway would be for Mary, knowing how difficult it would take this all in, believe it and move forward to manage what she was going to have to manage in terms of misunderstanding and various other things. And uh, I'd like to think he did that so that Mary would have support from someone who believed her. And uh, notice that Mary, after she gets this great vision from the angel, It says she hasted and made her way to Elizabeth's house. Now, this was no small task. Elizabeth lived in the hill country of Judea, 120 kilometers away. And um, she would have had to arrange an escort. She wouldn't have been able to do that. She'd do that on her own. She couldn't jump in a car and just drive there. It was a one-week journey by foot. But she hastened, so she must have somehow got the support of her family to take her there. Someone in her family, maybe a brother, maybe a cousin, we don't know. Some thinks it was maybe Joseph, though I have a question about that. But uh, anyway, so off she goes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, um, when she arrived and greeted Elizabeth, the words of the angel were confirmed by Elizabeth immediately as she spoke out prophetically. You are the most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. She, confirmed the import- she affirmed the importance of the child. She affirms Mary by saying, Blessed is she who believed what was spoken to her by the Lord, that it will be fulfilled. Now, I find that such a powerful affirmation. Isn't it wonderful when someone we love comes to us and affirms something that God's doing in our life? That just helps us to move forward in the plan that God set for us. And I really think this was such a blessing for Mary. In fact, it so much was a blessing that she broke out in song. And we have a record of the song she sang. Now, I don't know. Did she write songs? Did she write it on the way? She had a seven days to think about it. Uh, was it extemporaneous? Did it just come by the power of the Holy Spirit right there? It reflected a song, a song of Hannah, which she must have known. And um, it was just this beautiful song of rejoicing. And it's really interesting because the song itself is just overflowing with exuberant joy. The Greek words used to indicate it was a jump up and down, dance around type of joy. It wasn't just joy. It was jump up and down. Wow, look what God's doing. And uh, let's listen to part of her song. Let's look at that. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me. 
what a song of worship, right? She could have been, you know, focusing on, wow, this is going to be really hard. What's Joseph going to say? What's the neighbors going to say? What are my parents going to say? Oh, my goodness, like, what's going to happen? Do you understand what I mean? And we can be like that when we're, even while we're following God's will, but she chose actually to pay attention to what God had said to her, to believe it, that it was going to be a blessing and to, and to rejoice in it. Worship became a big part is a great, uh, what can I say? Catalyst for us to follow God's plan. Okay. We've had a little look at Mary's life and, uh, I want uh, now to kind of bring it down to a practical level is how does this fit for us? And what can we learn from her example and how she responded to following God in, in her life? Well, humility. Talked a little bit about a healthy humility that was kind of had an open stance, an openness to God working in her life, even though that she wasn't, she didn't view herself as something special. And it's easy to get caught up in our own unworthiness. I know that I'm guilty of this. And um, when I get caught up in that, it's like I can't even hear about God's plan because I think God doesn't have a plan for me at all. Like, why would he? Right? And I'm, I'm not able to move forward at all. So that's when we have an unhealthy humility. Or we can have a, a pride like, well, I think that I'm qualified for this, 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 and why wasn't I picked? <laughs> So it wasn't part of God's plan, but we had the view that we were worthy and able to do that. But a healthy humility is like what Paul said, that he wasn't adequate in and of himself, but the Holy Spirit made him adequate. It has a view of God's power and grace and ability to step in. And uh, I remember when I was quite young in the faith. I was, I would maybe became a Christian and I was maybe about, uh, three months in something like that. And I was going to college and I remember I was standing overlooking the library. I could see everywhere in in the library and I felt God speaking to me like there should really be a Bible study or something going on in this college. And I started to pray. Yes, Lord, bring somebody to teach a Bible study to help people. And uh, it just got heavier and heavier. And finally, like I understood, actually, he was asking me to do that. And this verse came to mind. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I thought, okay, I'm not crazy. Oh, and I had this lady who walked alongside me when I was a new believer. And she had, I went and had weekly studies with her. And she had said, look, if you ever think God's telling you something, do it right away. Don't give yourself a chance <laughs> to think about it anymore. Just, so I went from that library overlooking the students. I went from all those thoughts in my head that were saying, you don't know anything. Like, you're totally new to this. Who, who are you? Uh, I, I just shut that off. I went straight to the office. I, rent, I, I organized a room that I reserved for every, I forget what it was, every Tuesday at noon. And um, I put an advertisement on the, uh, they had a student system there that was on TVs at that time. And then I thought, okay, then I'm committed to this, right? I had no idea what I was going to do, but I thought, I don't know much, but I do know more than they do. And God's asked me to do this. 
So somehow I'll be able to do it. At that point, I had never stood in front of people or taught before. And actually for me to get up in front, like Peter knows this more than you do. It's almost like a stage fright. Like I go through like terrible (laughs) uh, uh, fits of anxiety to do something like this. But at that time, it was the first time I'd ever done it. And it was like, I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I didn't know much. But I trusted that God had led me to do it, and he did it. Healthy humility. It helps us follow in the path that God wants, wants us to be in. Okay, so we need to learn how to recognize, okay, I'm not worthy, but God has favored us. God has blessed us, and God promises to gift us to do the work he wants us to do. Believe what he said to me. How does God direct us and speak to us? Like, I mean, it's really nice to have an angel come, but how often has that happened in your life or mine? Like, it's, it's a kind of an unusual occurrence. It's not something that happens all the time. So, Charles Stanley, I, I'm, I'm going to say this, give this illustration, and maybe I've given it before. I had this thought in my mind, have I said this before? Uh, some of you are my age, so you know what that feeling is. Like, have I told, talked about this already? But, you know, the good thing about this is a lot of you are older, so you won't remember. <laughs> so, um, Charles Stanley once told a story about his uh, granddaughter who had come to stay with him for a few days. She was just young, maybe eight or nine. And she asked her grandfather, does God speak to us? And Charles Stanley answered, oh, he sure does. He said, I want you to just take a little bit of time each day and read a little bit from the Bible and pray. And then you come and tell me what God said to you. So this went on for a few days. She'd come and he'd say, well, did God speak to you? And she would say, no, he hasn't spoken to me yet. And after a few days, she came back and she said, Grandpa, does, Dad speak with wor- with, does God speak with words? And Charles Stanley answered, oh my, when he speaks, it's louder than words. And that is something I've, been rem- I've remembered since I uh, heard that illustration as being so true. When God speaks to us, it's louder than words. Sometimes it makes our heart beat fast. It just hits us so hard. It can be a scripture verse. It can be someone talking to us. It can be something we see on TV. It can be something in nature, but it speaks something so specific to us that we know it's from him. Mary knew that that message was from God. And when God directs us, we need to believe that that message is for us and we need to hold on to it. I know that one of the things that I do, and and right now I have a file on my computer because I do have a tendency to kind of question, oh, well, maybe... Maybe I'm just thinking I should do this. Maybe, you know, my mind goes around in all these kind of anxious circles. And um, so I have a file on my computer that says, God told me. And it's just a file, and it's in kind of in point form. And when I've discerned that he wants me to do something or whatever, I just go back to that. I read it over once in a while and think, well, no, God told me that. And I have to keep going back to it. God told me that. That keeps me on track. And uh, so I think that it, it was better. And sometimes because I'm a counselor, sometimes I work with people who are tr- struggling with anxiety or different things. And 
I've often said to them, look, it's okay to be anxious. It's okay to have this as a, as a passenger in your car, but don't let them drive, right? We're going to have anxiety. We're going to have questions and doubts. It's okay to have that as a passenger, but don't give them the steering wheel. Don't. And so part of believing God is letting God have the steering wheel, right? You might have those other things, but you want to focus yourself in and believe that God has directed you and you need to follow through on that. So that's part of following God's will, is really believing what he said. Third, cultivate a spirit of meekness. Now, I don't think Mary uh, suddenly became so ready to submit to such a big task. I think she'd probably been submitting to God all the way along. And uh, I wish it was a reflex for me. It's not. But um, we need to have Christ as Lord of our life and not resist and ignore or offer a rebuttal to him. And we can begin in the small things. So about 99% of what God said is for us is already written in the Bible. We always worry about that 1% that we don't know. Oh, God, what do you want me to do? When there's 99% that's already written. So why don't we start there? Love your neighbor. Be kind. Respect. Show respect. Uh, Be honest. And it goes on and on. And when you hear that subtle voice of the Holy Spirit whispering, oh, you're not telling quite the truth there. Be honest. Oh, you should apologize to your husband. Peter over there. (laughs) You just give it up and apologize. (laughs) You know, there are lots of things. And and when we can sort of meekly just not argue with God on that and just follow through, we're developing that muscle, that reflex that we need to submit to God. not just the big things, but in all the little things along the way. So I encourage you to find a a way to listen. I I guess I don't like the word obedience as much as I like the word surrender. Obedience is like, it means I have to have the discipline to manage that. Surrender is like, (sighs) okay, Holy Spirit, you're in charge. You kind of let go of the reins and you let him do it. And that, to me, gives me more hope that I can accomplish it. So, and the last thing, learn to worship. Don't focus on your anxious thoughts and fears. Focus on God and his work. Mary had a lot to be anxious about, but instead she was overwhelmed with God's goodness to her, his favor, his plans. How'd she do that? Now, I think one was she had... Elizabeth, I think that was such a huge boost for her. And having spiritual friends that you can walk with that can affirm what God's doing in your life can just put that stamp like, yes, that's right. Go forward. I think um, for me, I have mm, a couple people that I walk with. I have people that I Zoom with as well. And I talk to them about the real honest things that are going on. And I hear from them and receive from them uh, affirmation from God that keeps me moving forward. And having a spiritual friend, a spiritual companion that can encourage you along the way is important. Now, 
I, I usually seek that out. I know because we lived on a mission field for many years, and whenever I went there, I made sure I had that person close by. I would make a deliberate effort to develop that relationship because it was a safety net for, for them and for me. And uh, to make a deliberate effort to phone that person and say, would you walk with me? Would you spend some time with me talking about spiritual things? That's just a really important thing to have in your life to help you go ahead and follow God's plan. The other thing was song. I don't know if any of you have written songs. I've written songs sometimes. Usually it's, you know, when I've learned some deep thing and I want to sort of set a memorial stone there to remember that. And I'll sing that song so I remember that truth. Uh, Not all of us write songs, but there are many hymn writers and modern worship song writers in this day who have consolidated truth in musical form. And Mary had that. If you look at scripture, there were the Psalms that did that. They taught so many truths and they run through your head. I don't know if Mary took her song and sang it over and over again, reminding herself. But music, it talks about music as being such a powerful spiritual tool to help us move forward in our walk with God. And so um, maybe that's something that can help you too. A spiritual friend and really paying attention to some some music that's, that lifts your spirit. I don't think Mary sang because she disciplined herself to do it. I think it came from a deep place of rejoicing. So find a song that comes from a deep place, whether that's a lament or a joyful place, but a deep place. And it can be an anchor for you for worship. I'd like to close by listening to uh, a song. Uh, well, it's called the Magnificat, uh, the Song of Mary. Someone wrote this, and it, it includes some of the words, not all the words of the Magnificat. But I thought we would just close by listening to that. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.